0: You know, in this life, most of us have what we would call hills that we are willing to die on. Those truths that we are willing to sacrifice everything to defend. That's what Robert Odlum did. This was the hill he was willing to die on, and he literally did die to prove this truth, that a great fall can't kill you, but what you hit at the end of that fall can. And you know, in the Christian faith, there are core truths That as Christians, we should all be willing to stand firm for no matter what. Uh, Like the fact that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's a hill that all Christians should be willing to die on. That is, we should not budge or compromise on that truth. But you know, then there are less critical things. Uh, Like some of the practical matters of living out our faith, that We decide at times that we're going to relentlessly push those things on others, even if it means pushing them away, dividing the church, and tearing others down. Believers, there are some hills not worth dying on or being divided over. So the question is, how can we know which hills are worth dying on? How can we know which truths are necessary to be divided over? And which matters do we simply need to learn to live at peace with each other over our differences. Well, these are some of the things that we are going to consider as we turn to Romans 14 this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Romans chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 921. Page 921, Romans 14. let's jump in there together. Verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, "Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters." Stop right here. This verse, this verse, the very first verse of the chapter, this is the key to understanding the rest of what Paul is going to say in Romans 14. When Paul wrote to the Roman church, it seems that there were some Well, there's some quarrels between the strong and the weak believers. Now let's understand, the one who is weak in faith that Paul talks about here is someone who's not very mature in their faith. Now weak doesn't mean that they have small faith in God, but that they were young in their understanding of how to apply their faith to their lives. Every Christian has at some point had weak faith. Some have gone on to maturity and strength. Others have not. But here's the thing. All Christians, weak or strong, all Christians are imperfect. Not a shock to a lot of us, though. In fact, sometimes we we quarrel. We fight sometimes. I think this is important to bring up because if you're visiting here today and you are looking for a perfect church, I'm going to let you know that you can move along. And come back and tell me when you find that church. Because in every church, even this one, there will be times where we where we hurt each other, where we fail, where we sin. And should it be this way? No. And so believers, we need to learn how to walk alongside each other the right way to prevent these fights. And we need to learn to forgive and repent when we are a part of these fights and failures. But the first thing I want us to understand, one, one way, one way to avoid unnecessary fights in the church is to understand that there are disputable matters. Paul mentions that in the verse we just read. There are disputable matters. What's that mean? Well, first of all, this means that there are indisputable matters. There are indisputable things in the Christian faith. There, that means there are things where there's no arguing them. They are established biblical facts. Things like the fact that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Or that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God and the only Savior. That Jesus physically died and then physically rose from the dead three days later. That we serve one God who is triune. Things like these are indisputable. They're clear in God's word. They're foundational to our faith. These, believers, these are hills to die on we ought to give up everything else rather than give up these truths. We do not waver on these things, church. If someone comes and tries to teach what is contrary to clear doctrines like these, well then we lovingly correct them, and if they will not come into unity with the truth, then we do not associate with them or with their heresy. These indisputable Things are hills to die on. Don't budge. Stand firm to the very end. Let me give you an example of that. In the second century AD, a man named Marcion began to teach a number of heresies. Not a good teacher, this guy, but people were listening to him. And one of the most prominent heresies that he taught was that the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. Well, that's a heresy because it clearly deviates from what is revealed in Scripture. Now, Martin, he wasn't willing to recant of these teachings, so he was kicked out of the church. And that was the right stand for the church to take. Now, other indisputable things include God's clear moral commands in his word. Things like the fact that we are not to commit murder or adultery. We're not supposed to covet. We're not supposed to take God's name in vain. We do not compromise, believers, on God's moral commands. But then there are disputable matters, Paul says. Now, these are the hills that we don't need to die on or be divided over. Many times, these are about living out our faith in areas that aren't made abundantly clear in Scripture. Paul's going to give a couple examples, so let's look together. Verse 2. Paul says, One person's faith allows them to eat anything. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever guards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So here are a couple of those disputable Things that Paul is talking about. Now, the first one was about food. Paul was not saying that vegetarians have weak faith because of their diet. It's not what he was saying. This was about the reason that some people were choosing to have a vegetarian diet. So let's try and understand it. You know, for the people in in Rome, uh, if they went to the marketplace to buy, food and to buy meat, there was the possibility that whatever meat they purchased had been previously used in some sort of idol sacrifice, pagan practice, and then later sold at the marketplace. Well, some Christians were worried that it'd be wrong to eat that meat. And because they couldn't be sure when they went to the marketplace which meat had been used in those sacrifices, they just decided to stay away from all meat. And then among the Jewish believers in the early church there were also some of those Jewish Christians who desired to remain kosher, to continue to adhere to Old Testament dietary laws and everything that they ate. Now, why were these things weak faith? Well, first of all, during his earthly ministry, Jesus declared that all foods were clean. I'm going to Mark chapter 7 to see that. Those Old Testament dietary laws no longer were continuing. As for food sacrificed to idols, idols are just man-made statues. They're not divine. Such food can't defile us. You can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 at home this week and read more about that. But you see, some Christians struggled with these things. Then there was the issue of sacred days. Right? Now, there were, there were some Old Testament feasts that some Jewish Christians most likely continued to celebrate and considered sacred. In addition to that, some Jewish Christians at this time still held the belief that it was the Sabbath, Saturday, when worship and rest were supposed to take place. Whether or not they joined in on Sunday worship as well, they held Saturday as a sacred day of the week. By the way, as a side note, I think it's good for all of us to understand why do we worship on Sundays today as Christians? I'm going to give you a few reasons why we do that. Uh, First of all, Sunday was the day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. It was on a Sunday, the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit first descended on the followers of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we see in the book of Acts that the pattern of the early church was that they met on Sundays. And the command to follow the Sabbath is not repeated in any form to the church in the New Testament. These are some of the reasons why we continue to worship on Sundays. But some believers, Paul said, they, they were still holding to sacred days. Now, why is this weak faith? It's because, Paul says, that those with mature faith, those are the ones who consider every day a life. Uh, that is, every day is to be purposed for worshiping and honoring and serving God. It's not the day of the week or the, the calendar that's to be lifted up. God is to be lifted up every day of the week. By the way, this mindset about certain days being sacred, more sacred, more holy than others, this, this mindset is uh, still around today. It is. Why don't you think about it for a second. Don't some Christians treat Easter as a bigger deal than all the other Sundays? And by that, what I mean is, you know, they'll say, it's okay if I miss all the other Sundays, but, you know, I really got to go on Easter and Christmas, for God to be happy. You know what I'm saying. But look, the reality is that's just that's just weak and immature faith. Because isn't our God just as great on all the other days? Shouldn't we remember the sacrifice of Jesus and worship him on all the other days? It's not that mature Christians don't celebrate Easter, but they do it with a different attitude. I like how one pastor put it. One pastor said, He said, at our church, we treat every Sunday like Easter. He said, we treat Easter like the second coming of Jesus Christ. The point is that the mature believer knows to put a high priority on worshiping Jesus every day. And so no one day is more important to worship him than another. Let me give you another example. There's another fight that has lingered in churches over the years. That fight is over the subject of dancing. Some Christians believe that all dancing is is wrong. But the Bible never says that. There's no command against it. One thing that we find in 2 Samuel 6 is that uh, the Bible says David danced before the Lord. Or if you go and you read the parable of the prodigal son, we find that when the oldest son came back home and approached the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. So there are some believers who say, well, dancing isn't wrong so long as it's appropriate. And then other Christians would say, because it can be inappropriate, we should just avoid all dancing. Believers, this is another example of a disputable issue. So long as we are each seeking to glorify God, let's not argue over it. And the same goes for a lot of things that we argue over as Christians. The truth is, there are a number of great English translations of Scripture, not just one. There are theologically sound, modern-day worship songs, just like there are great hymns. And there are many areas in living out our faith where we may differ without contradicting God's word. The same is true in regard to meat and sacred days that Paul is talking about. Paul says the one who abstained from meat for those reasons was doing so out of a conviction that it was right in God's sight. The ones holding those sacred days were doing so out of the conviction that it was honoring to God. Their motives were right. They weren't obeying or disobeying any commands in Scripture, but they were following their conscience. The point is that the same way that a believer with weak faith did these things to bring God glory, well, likewise, the mature believer who's living in Christian liberty, that means they realize they don't have to do those things, that believers also to bring God glory in what they do. So Paul says this in verse 7. He says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So remember, the the first way, church, that we avoid a lot of the unnecessary fights in church is that we recognize there are disputable matters. The next way that we avoid unnecessary fights is by understanding our place before God. He is the judge. We are his servants. We are going to stand before him. And each of us will give an account of our lives, believers. So let's stop passing judgment on one another over disputable matters. Now I want to pause here and make sure there's no misunderstanding what Paul means when he says to stop passing judgment on one another. Because there's this thing that people do, including many Christians, uh, where they'll try and take passages and phrases like that, and they'll say, whoa, don't point out my sin, my shortcomings. Tell me that how I'm living is wrong. The Bible says to stop passing judgment. So church, let's always understand the Bible is clear that as Christians, we are to lovingly and unhypocritically hold one another accountable when our family in Christ falls into sin. When it comes to these disputable matters, understand, we're not the judge. God's the judge. And we're supposed to stop passing judgment. See, a lot of times we pass judgment and we fight over disputable matters because of pride. Because we see ourselves as greater than one another. That's sin. It's if a strong believer says, well, I'm mature in my faith. They just need to get over it and do the things that I'm telling them. Or if a young or weak believer says, well, I'm more sensitive to things of righteousness. And they're just, they just live recklessly. Well, those types of attitudes come from pride. And those attitudes, that's what leads to sin. And that's what leads to division in the church. Christians, we're all family in Christ. We belong to the Lord, and he is the judge that we are going to stand before. So in these matters of disputable things, let's not treat each other with contempt. No, instead, if we are each seeking to bring God glory in all things, and if we are adhering to what his word clearly says, then we ought to learn to live in harmony with one another. So let's make up our minds not to pass silly judgments on each other over things that only bring disunity and bickering, don't cause one another to stumble. Paul's going to talk about that part now. Don't cause each other to stumble. Look what he says next. He says in verse 14, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine. Or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Well, let's all remember Paul. Paul, before he came to faith in Jesus Christ, Paul was a Pharisee. Now, as a Pharisee, Paul would have lived according to the strictest of dietary restrictions. But now, well, Paul says that he doesn't see food as unclean in itself. Why is that? It's because the maturity of his faith led him to live in the liberty, the freedom that Jesus Christ brings. But you see, Paul, Paul wasn't going to flaunt that liberty. well If he knew that there was a weak believer with him who had trouble with, let's say, eating meat, what would be wrong for Paul to go and sit next to that person with a plate of steaming bacon? Even though Paul's freedom would allow him to eat that, in that context, it would be unloving? If he knowingly caused his brother to stumble in regard to that. And you see, that's when the dissension comes. The bickering, the bitterness, the fighting. Nobody should fight over bacon. Just like no one should fight over many of the things that cause bickering in churches. Strong believers should be sensitive to the weak. Weak believers should not despise the strong. Many years ago, a pastor beautifully illustrated this point that Paul is getting at here, and I'd like to just share this quote, this illustration where you said this. He said, we can compare this to crossing a swinging bridge that's over a mountain stream. He said, some people can run, run across a bridge like that, even though it doesn't have any handrails. They're not concerned about the swaying of the bridge or the danger of the torrent below it. But others are very uncertain on such a bridge. They shake. They tremble. They inch along. They might even get down on their hands and knees and crawl across. But they'll make it. You just give them time. You let them set their own speed. In fact, after a few crossings, they begin to pick up courage. And eventually they are able to run right across. The pastor said it's like that with these moral questions. Some people can't see themselves acting in a certain area that they've been brought up to think is wrong. As in the case of the swinging bridge, it would be cruel. It would be cruel for someone who had the freedom to cross boldly to take the arm of someone who is timid and force him to run across. No, no, he might even lose his balance and fall off the bridge. Look, if you're here and you're young in your faith in Jesus Christ, okay, you're, you're a new believer. And you come across a situation in your life that you're uncertain of how to go how to act what to do my encouragement to you if you sincerely desire to please god is that you look to god's word prayerfully and then go as your conscience and the holy spirit leads you and at the same time be willing to ask mature believers questions in these things without looking at them with contempt and if you're here and you are mature in your faith then don't let your understanding of freedom in Christ destroy someone for whom Christ died. In other words, don't hurt their spiritual growth by living in freedom without lovingly helping them along. If they struggle, be certain not to do anything that would become stumbling block, believers. You see, the third thing that we need to understand to avoid unnecessary fights in the church is that we need to pursue peace with one another. In First Baptist Church, I praise God that there is a lot of peace and unity in this church. But I'm going to let you know that in the 143-year history of FBCO, there have been quarrels there have been fights just like there might be more in the future because we're a room full of sinners, but we've been saved by grace. And because of that, we should desire to learn to avoid these many unnecessary fights by by recognizing what the disputable and the indisputable things are. Clear commands and doctrines in Scripture are indisputable things. But then there are these other areas that are less clear, that some might struggle with. The mature believers need to help, need to learn to bring those others along, bearing with them, not putting stumbling blocks in their path. And newer believers need to seek to continue to grow in their faith. And all of us need to learn to accept one another. That does not mean that we accept sin or divisiveness or heresy, but rather it means that we know how to properly get along with each other. I like how one member in small group put it a couple months ago as we were discussing things. He said, we need to learn to agree to disagree agreeably. That was good. That became a common theme for our small group the first two months of the year. We were going through a study on spiritual gifts. And we all had to understand that there were certain truths we couldn't disagree on. There had to be unity. There were indisputable things. And then there were some other areas where there was room for us to agree to disagree agreeably. In the end, here's the truth, church. God's word, God's word will teach us which hills to die on. And God's word will teach us how to live at peace with one another. So believers, let's pursue him in his word. And let's pursue peace together. Church, I'm going to encourage you. Maybe maybe for some of us as believers here today, there's been some bitterness in our hearts towards one another. If so, take that to the Lord in prayer during this time of invitation. This final song, confess that to the Lord. If you know that you're not living in unity with some of the believers here, I can't encourage you enough to reconcile before you leave this place. And hey, we've got a great opportunity for you to do that because we're going to have a potluck after the service. So reconcile to one another. Let's live in unity. Let's pursue peace together. Let's grow in our understanding of God's Word so we know what are those hills that we need to stand firm and die on. Let's do these things so we'd be a mature church. And if you're here, if you are here in Jesus Christ isn't your Savior, we aren't perfect, us Christians. Boy, we make a lot of mistakes. But we've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. And we want you to know before you leave that you can be forgiven by Jesus too. See, because of all our imperfections, we deserve to be separated forever from God after this life in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. But in his deep love for us, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus died on the cross to take that penalty that we owe, the penalty for sin. After he died, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead three days later. And Jesus is standing in heaven right now waiting to forgive you of all your sin. He's waiting to save you from that penalty of hell and to give you eternal life. The question is, will you give your life to him? The Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, if you have never done that, please understand you can do that before you leave. In fact, you can do that right now. Let's pray together. If that's where you're at, Jesus Christ is not your Savior, but you're ready to change that. I want you to understand that if you have questions during this final song, come up to the front and just talk with me about that. If you don't want to come all the way to the front, go to the back. One of our deacons, Michael Giorgini, is back there. He'll talk to you. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to have the opportunity to do it before we even start singing so that you don't have to spend another moment separated from the Lord. You can go to Jesus in prayer and admit to him that you know that you're a sinner. You've done wrong things. But did you know Jesus died for you on the cross? Did you believe he didn't stay in the grave but rose from the dead? Friend, ask him for that forgiveness. By faith, give your life to him. And I promise you, on the authority of God's word, Jesus will save your soul. He'll bring you into his family. He'll never let you go. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, sometimes, Lord, we we really make big mistakes. Sometimes we hurt our family in Christ. I pray that when we do that, you would teach us to be humble so that we would repent when we make mistakes. That you would teach us the humility we need to forgive one another. That you would show us how to live at peace with each other. And Father, I praise you for the peace and the unity that's at this church. And I pray that it would continue as we each learn what those disputable matters are and what the indisputable ones are. And I pray that as a church, we would stand firmly on those things that you clearly teach us in your word. That we would never budge on the truth of the gospel and who you are. No matter what the world tries to say or tries to do to us, that we would know which hills to die on. Father, let this be true at First Baptist Church of Oxford out of our deep love for you. We thank you for loving us and we know that you do because you sent your son to die for us. We praise you and thank you for that. Father, as we get ready to go and spend some time fellowshipping together, I pray that it would just be a great time of fellowship and unity. And we pray that in all these things you'd be honored. In Jesus' name, Amen.